0: Welcome, this talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Welcome, everybody. So good to see you. So we're going to continue today. um, The last few sessions that I've been leading I've been going over um, a text by Lama Samkapa and the text is the three principles on the path to enlightenment. And so the three principles we've been going over are the determination to be free, It's the first one. Uh, The second one was altruism. And the one we're going to be talking about today is perfect view. And so to recap a little bit, the, the determination to be free is a really a big one. You know, this is um, really contemplating uh, the defects of samsara uh, to the point where we could really, you know, determine that the end of suffering is not going to come from external conditions and really make a commitment to turn inward and, and to find that. Uh, within And within that principle, there's a lot of talk of uh, renunciation, which is a, a word that sometimes, you know uh, we got to tense up about. <laughs> but really, it, it's just it's just self-explanatory. you know if we, if we want to go in a, in a certain direction, then it, this is in, it, it's very mundane too, like in life, you know, whatever we want to focus on that we wanna gain benefit from, then we have to put you know, 100% of our, our effort into that. So it's really kind of making that commitment of where we're gonna find refuge. Uh, that's the beginning, that's the first principle. The second one is altruism. We went over this last time. This principle is extremely important. For one, it kind of it's, it uh, creates fertile ground uh, for enlightenment to happen. So it's really creating uh, the proper um, causes and conditions for the ripening of enlightenment in the mind when we have altruism and bodhicitta. And uh, we use an, an example of, you know, if we're, if we're able to be free, let's say if we're in a war-torn country, we brought up Af- Afghanistan. Uh, Afghanistan, last time and if we're in a country for example that is not in a good way and we have the opportunity to uh to get out of there you know maybe come to a place like America if we can do that but we're not allowed to bring our friends and family along there's going to be a sense of suffering in that right and even if we're able to bring along our friends, our loved ones, what about their friends and their loved ones right where Where does that that idea of family of loved ones where does that end? so we can contemplate this and and set that really pure intention that that i'm I'm really not free until all beings are free can we can we sit with this? Um, until it becomes kind of a known, not just a concept. So we went over that uh, last time, that altruism. And then uh, then today we're gonna talk about perfect view, which is really the view of emptiness. And, um, and I wanna go about this maybe in, in a different way. You know, we talk a lot about right view, and emptiness in the non-substantiality of things. But maybe we could talk today about that, but actually how things do exist um, in a subtle way. So we'll kind of go about it maybe a little bit different. <laughs> um, and, but I wanna, I wanna start off by, by saying that this right view, which is really you know, the, the entire path you know, to see things clearly, it's good to remember that this is, this is for everyday peace. Like when we're contemplating these things, um, sometimes when we talk about emptiness, it seems like something that's gonna maybe be an, ep- an epiphany of some sort, and you know, there 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 may be some you know relief at that point. But actually, the contemplation of of emptiness can lead to and should lead to you know, day-to-day peace, as a, as a meditation, like when we contemplate these things, it should deliver us into some kind of calm. And I think when we talk about emptiness, being that we have to use the words, it can cause kind of like mental fatigue <laughs> more than anything, because we're just talking about these concepts. And so I, I really want to get to the point, even if we do need to talk it out together, uh, can we feel a sense of ease uh with these concepts in the here and now can we release some attachment uh just by seeing the, the truth of things in the here and now like um today you know and and maybe contemplating or actually sitting with this in, in some um as as a meditation i should say uh, yeah, so as I get into, you know, the 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 perfect view. Um, so Aslamasamkapa is talking. You know, this is kind of obvious, but you know, he's saying like, if we have, if we have renunciation, if we have altruism, but we don't have right view, there's no end of suffering. Right, there's still going to be clinging, um, of some kind. And and when we look at like the the basic Definition of of mindfulness, like if we took, you know, our first mindfulness class and we heard about the definition of mindfulness, of paying attention, you know, the present moment, on purpose, non-judgmentally. And we learned, you know, how to bring the mind back. You know, the mind is on the object, it leaves the object and it comes back to the object. And we learned about non-grasping mind. You know, we learned that when the mind's away, we notice that it's gone away and we're able to release it and, and then it come back to the object. When we're learning that, we see that if we just kept doing that over and over again, this would lead to our explanation of, of emptiness. So... It's not so abstract, like if we're allowed to really, really, really allowing everything to be as it is and not grasping onto anything arising, then this is going to come to its own fruition experientially, right? We would be seeing like this clearly, uh, except we only do this in certain moments. So to be with this moment, we have to let go of the past moment. So we do this for a little bit but we don't really marinate and sit with non-grasping mind experientially for that long. So this is where the concentration piece is 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 helpful that stability of mind you know that we get from consistent practice. You know the informal practice is wonderful it really helps us come back during the day. But at some point we want to make a concerted effort to lengthen that time out that lengthen that time that we're sitting in With a mind of some stability, and these things can show themselves um, uh, uh, more substantially um, clearer. So the mind can kind of really show itself in its clarity, right? As as we do that, so thinking of how things exist, let's start out with how the mind exists, right? Because uh, in duality and the subject-object relationship we have with phenomena, we have um, and how they're dependent arising, we have the mind, and then we have, of course, what the mind is perceiving. There's an automatic peace that we can get by just looking at the mind as, as not an object of the senses. So the, the mind is not something that can be perceived by the senses, it can't be, you know, tasted, touched, it can't be seen. Um there's no scent, you know, to the mind, it can't be heard, right? So the the mind itself is the mind itself is merely labeled mind. So the mind that we consider mind is a merely labeled mind, but it's non-substantial. So even even the contemplation of this intellectually there is some clarity there it's odor you know it's odorless it's it's you know it's colorless it's shapeless right and yet it's cognitive it can it has the ability to know and so we can kind of you know touch upon this very gently and see and and stay with the truth of this okay my senses cannot cannot pick up on it so it's not substantial in that way yet it has the ability to know so if we stay with this this cognitive ability to know uh, this is likened to just this really basic awareness but the idea that we have about the mind so if, if the mind is said to be concrete in any way that's the idea of the mind. So it's important to know that. So, and I'm going to kind of go over this um, more. But we talk about the object to be refuted. The object to be refuted, when we're speaking of, of, of emptiness, is the object is the idea about something. So in the mind, if we have an idea of what the mind is and you know how it works and all that stuff, That's what we're refuting. We're refuting our idea about it. But if we look, and even if we just look for a short amount of time, we see that the mind is empty of inherent existence from its own side. From its own side, it's naturally clear, it's naturally luminous by nature, and it's cognizant by nature and this doesn't take an uh a deep uh realization to touch upon this yeah we could just we could we could be with it again right here and right now and when we're looking at the mind in the opposite way oh my mind's so full of of clutter and you know it's it's so busy and it's so this it's so that like we are making that up like that's just more imputation on something right that's more clutter it's like the clutter is saying it's full of clutter (laughs) the mind experientially there's no clutter even the clutter is empty i would say like most importantly it's no it's good to notice that the clutter is empty the clutter the clutter of the mind has no, is not an object of the senses, right? The so-called thoughts, you know, that cannot be seen, cannot be touched. There's no scent, you know, to those. So we're starting off with, this is, this is, that which perceives so even before we get to the objects that are to be perceived this is what is perceiving them and hopefully there could be at ease there like i keep coming back to i just want to come back to that just simply because this is an actual practice and sometimes i feel like people have a resistance to it, and and have an aversion uh to practice seeing in this way where we emphasize you know mindfulness and loving kindness practice, but to meditate upon this, which is an analytical meditation traditionally you know in in the Tibetan tradition, it's an analytical meditation. Will we, we analyze the fact that we cannot find the thing within the thing? Like, we cannot find the mind within the mind. And that, we, that there's an ease that comes from that. So, that's how the mind exists. Non-substantially, yet apparent, yet there. So then how things how things exist. Um I'm actually gonna read something because so how things exist, you know, we've we've gone over this quite a bit. You know, if if you've been with this sangha for a while, we've gone over quite a bit um of looking at you know how things exist and not being able to find the thing in the thing. And Lama Zopa, he likes to use a table for this. We could use it with anything, right? Um, But again, he ends with the extreme subtlety in which things exist. So I'm just gonna go ahead and read this and then we'll unpack it. The correct way to meditate on the emptiness of the table By recognizing that the table appears to be independent, unlabeled, real from its own side, you then search for that table to see whether or not it exists. When you don't find it and you see that it's empty, at that time you're seeing the emptiness or ultimate nature of the table. By seeing the ultimate truth of the table, that it is completely empty of existing from its own side. As a result, you then realize the conventional truth of the table. That the table exists in mere name, being merely imputed by the mind. This is subtle, dependent arising. So what is that table? Because we see the object that performs the function of allowing things to be put on top of it, we merely impute table and believe it is table. Because this object is here in the room, we believe that there is a table in this room. By seeing this object, we believe I see table. It's a concept. By seeing this object in the room, we merely impute there is a table. We leave it just at that. We are satisfied just by that. There's no table anywhere in this, but there is a table in the room. You see now that the way the table exists is extremely subtle. When 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 you really analyze what the table is, it is extremely subtle. It is not that the table is non-existent, but it is like it is non-existent. It is not non-existent because you make the table, use the table, break the table. If you make the base, he's using base here as functionality, like as its function. If you make the base, like if you say a table is something that you rest things on, like you make that up, say that, and you're you're calling that a table. That's what he's using as base here. You believe I made a table. You simply believe I made a table. If you use the table, you believe I'm using the table. You simply believe I'm using the table. And if you break the table, you believe I broke the table. The table is non-existent. I'm sorry, the table is not non-existent, but it is not the concrete thing we normally think it is. Clear as can be, right? Is the table there or not? Here's the clarification. The the object to be refuted, I want to just go back to this because I think this could be the key that could, could make it clearer. Um, by analyzing like this, you see that the way the table exists is extremely fine. So he's saying that the table exists, but it's extremely fine, very subtle. But when you check what is happening to you, you find that a real concrete table is left there, oneness with its base, oneness with the function, you know, that you gave it. This is what is called the object to be refuted. What's to be refuted is that real table appearing from its own side. So, like, if you, refuting here is not that it exists or not, not exists. We're refuting that it exists in the way that we think we do. And the way that we think we do is that it's real. It's a real table appearing from its own side. It's truly existing. It's independent. It's concrete. Right? That's what we're imputing. Right? That's, I mean, that, that's what we're refuting. So in, in reality... Right, so when we see the table, but in reality, when we say table, we know that it's not universally existing as a table. Not all beings are seeing table, you know. The bird doesn't see table, the two year old doesn't see table, you know. Um, All beings are not seeing table, and of course, if you take it apart, you know, if you take the legs apart, if you take the top apart you know you're never going to find the actual table it's not in the screws it's not anywhere there and then of course it could it it was once a certain function like another base was imputed onto it before right in other words it was a tree and then it was a this and then it was like a leg and then it was this right and then it could change again so it's not permanently existing that's the truth of it and yet it's there. So we're not refuting, you know, that it's that it's there. We're what we're refuting is our idea about what's there. Like the mind. You look at the mind and you could say, oh, my mind's crazy, my mind's busy, and I think this and I think that and I have a smart mind, whatever. When we look at the mind, it's not there. That's the reality of it. But it's but but it exists. It's cognitive, it can know, it's clear. Right? It's clear but and and knowing, but actually not as full as we think it is, and definitely not as substantial that we think it is. Like a thought can feel really heavy and cause a whole bunch of trouble when we look at a thought. A thought weighs nothing from its own side. Any weight that we give a thought, we have to every it if, if a thought weighs anything at all, we give it that, weight. Just like a table doesn't exist at, at all as anything, but a table exists as what we impute onto it. And if, this is extremely important because if we're suffering from some thing and the objects within life, they are the meanings that we have given them. And this is why it matters because there's so much attachment and so therefore so much suffering from that attachment because of the wrong view. And of course what we're not seeing when we say, when we impute table is we're not seeing impermanence, we're not seeing interdependence, we're not seeing the dukkha in the table you know, we're not seeing unsatisfactoriness because we're saying table. So if the table breaks, that is a broken... Our, it breaks our idea of table. Because our idea of table is, you know, it's like your cell phone not working. You know, if you label... Wolfie. <laughs> if you label, um, you know, the phone... The phone is supposed to work like a phone. So if it stops working like a phone, then they're suffering. Right? So this is why it matters. But a phone is impermanent, it's shifting, it's changing, it's interdependent. That's the true nature of, of the phone. And so this is why it matters. So I'm, I'm going to bring up, I'm going to have Don put in the chat box here this is from Longchimpa. Longchimpa wrote a large text um, and within this text, uh, it's about the illusion of um, of how things arise and this is this is Longchimpa's eight similes, and I think this is quite nice again to to, to see how things do exist, so Lama zopa is pointing to like the subtlety of like things exist, but in a very subtle way and and in 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 my view, like a very beautiful way, like things exist in this very like um, really soft and and really gentle way it's they're not so hard and and uh you know it's it's not it's i feel sometimes. With wrong view, we feel like the world, like we're in a pin, we're like a, we're a pinball machine. We're like the, the ball in a pinball machine and we're bouncing off of things that are very hard. You know, people's opinions, um, objects, uh, ideas, you know, all of these things feel like, like we're a pinball and we're getting shot all around. But things actually exist in a very gentle way. And so, um. You know, it's already eleven o'clock. We're we're gonna actually break up into into groups here in in a, in a few moments, but um, in the smaller groups. But maybe we could reflect on seeing things more like like this. You know, so these are these are eight similes of illusion. Um, the order in which they appear. So in Longchenpa's finding comfort and ease in the illusoriness of things. Finding comfort and ease important <laughs> um, in in seeing things as illusions, and you've I'm sure you're familiar with these. You know these are concepts that are uh, that are fairly common when we speak of these things. So things exist uh, like a dream, like objects perceived with the five senses are not there, but they appear through delusion. Right. So one analogy or one simile is that. That things appear, but they appear like they do within a dream, and this is actually a practice so there's a practice called dream yoga, and it has two parts you know so dream yoga is that we actually wake up in 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 the night and, and in, our, in our sleep and actually practice and we could actually become lucid and, and keep practicing our awareness um, also however. The other part of dream yoga is we walk around this earthly life perceiving things like we would in a dream, existing, uh, appearing, but not existing from their own side in a concrete way. So just like a dream, it definitely appears, but we wouldn't say it's real, real. Like We wake up and, and think, oh, that was a dream. Another simile is, things appear like a magical illusion, like a, like a magic illusion, things are made to appear due to the temporary coming together of causes and conditions. And I like, this, I like this here, that things come together for a temporary, in a temporary way, they come together from causes and conditions. And when things appear, we love to label, you know, this concrete nature to them as far as like the permanent, you know, like, oh, I saw something and it's, it's like this and we see it again maybe years later and we're like, oh, that's not what I saw. Like, what's that? I was expecting this or that. Uh, because what you saw was just what was there in the moment. Uh, but we impute, oh, that's a thing on top of that. Uh, the next one is like a hallucination. Or, um, I think they're using this Sanskrit name or something, Um, so it's like a hallucination. Things appear, yet there is nothing there. Uh, These are all very similar, of course. Uh, Like a mirage. Like a mirage, things appear, but they are not real. I love the echo uh, analogy. Like an echo, things can be perceived, but there's nothing there, either inside or outside. it's the funniest, one of the funniest things I've ever seen. There's a, there was a coyote at one of the retreat centers I lived at. There's a coyote in the meadow. And, you know, the coyotes talk to each other. Like, miles away, the coyotes could talk, and, and it's really amazing. But where I was living, we are in this little valley, and so this coyote was howling but he kept hearing his echo, you know? And so, and it was quite loud and, and everything. It was really neat. And I, I wondered, was he thinking that the, he was being talked back to or, <laughs> cause he sounded like he was getting more agitated as he went. Um, and I just had this image of like, he was saying like, stop mimicking me, you know? Hi, hello, 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 hello. Why are you saying that? Why are you saying that? You know, anyway. <laughs> um, but things are like an echo. So he, he, you know, he might have thought that was a real, that was a real voice. City of, I don't know how to say that, Gandharvas, I guess. But yeah, it's like an ethereal um, place. So like an ethereal realm, like a celestial realm, like of like a subtle realm or an astral realm. Um, like this, so like the astral plane, kind of like a ghost or something, you know, like things are appearing but not physically real. And uh, like a reflection, so this one's used a lot, you know, the the moon in the water analogy, like reflection, things appear but have no reality on their own. Apparition, like an apparition thing, there are different types of appearances but they are not really there. Sometimes an apparition can be, you know, the, that the sunlight makes a little something and people think it's a UFO or something, you know. Um, so those are some, some analogies. And so what I would like to dive a little bit deeper into in breakout rooms is, is how can this bring about a sense of ease? Just like Lama Samkhapa, finding comfort and ease in the illusoriness of things. How can we find ease in this? Uh, At at the first time we hear it, it actually could cause some destabilization, like what, like uh, things are not as I I thought they were, and and this and that. So it can be a feeling of instability, and that's not really why we're contemplating it, obviously. We wanna feel more comfort and and less attachment, and therefore we want to feel more at ease. So so let's let's go into breakout rooms and contemplate these things together and, yeah, see what we come up with. How could this bring about more ease Uh, by contemplating right view or perfect view? All right. Hey there. Welcome back. Um, so we only have a couple minutes left. Um, I tried to leave as long as I could, cause I noticed most people had four people in their room, which, um, could, could take a bit, but yeah, if anyone wants to kind of just share maybe have time for like one or two shares actually, um, but yeah, just what came up for, for them, that would be, that would be great to share with the larger group. It it was empty.
1: It was wonderful. I thought it was a great thank you, uh, Casey. I'm really drawn to, you know, this type of uh, modality that uh, gets us into the, you know, letting things go, the the suffering and then how our mind creates papancha and just really looking at the mind. And then it just reminded me of that uh, Zen saying that, uh, you know, bring the, where is my mind? He says, bring your mind. The teacher says, bring your mind and I'll pacify He says, I looked everywhere and I mm-hmm. can't find my mind. He says, there it is, pacify. Mm. But the table being there, not being there, actually is very helpful for the, those times that I have created things in my mind. Like it has happened in the past four or five times. Then that has thing become a solid, just like a table in my mind. And I think that's how things are gonna go. But just knowing mm. that table is not really solid Neither is my thought about that, how things are going to happen in the future and not creating like a, some catastrophe for it. And then but the other level that we, we all were all discussing uh, is that the uh, on the quantum physics. I'm not sure that the patents were the forerunner of these or the other guys were. Anyway, they say even this to- <clears throat> table is not solid either because this is made of atoms. <clears throat> and then there is like an empty space and there 90 percent plus of them are empty space on the table that we be called table. You know, because of the way the electrons turn on, it's like 95% plus is empty. So even that's nothing. And then thank you very much for this uh, wonderful topic, Casey, and explanation.
0: Great things to ponder upon. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll just share a funny story. We had a couple weeks in May where three of our mugs broke. It was very random how each mug managed to break. One was knocked over by a child. One broke while being washed. And my husband broke the third one while he was washing it. And he swore at the top of his lungs, which have you guys met my husband? He was like, calm, chill, dude. He was very upset about destroying a third mug. And so Father's Day was coming up and I gifted him a mug covered in pictures that are just terrible, like girl, the girl's screaming at him. They've made a huge mess. And I said, happy Father's Day. And, and in parentheses, this mug is already broken. That's all. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, well, um, I live in a very unusual car universe. Uh, my husband used to work for Nissan and we get a new lease car every year. And every year I get this brand new car, and then I know I'm gonna fuck it up at some at some point. I'm gonna do <laughs> something. I know it. And um, and every time I do, you know, bump into something, get a scratch, da da da. da I just go, of course, but mm. I don't really like it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I know what's happening, and I know it's yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's both. It's yeah. It's both. Right, it's like compassion and wisdom, like not attachment yet striving for for the best anyway. You know, it's not like you're trying to hurt the car. (laughs) Yeah, but it also happens, so thank you. So just allowing your eyes to close, come back into your posture for a moment if you can. And just thinking of all the goodness today and maybe in particular those insights on emptiness and thinking of all of our brothers and sisters all beings maybe those that are suffering greatly from grasping holding on to things a bit too tight Just wishing freedom in our own minds, in the mind of others, in the minds, in the minds of all beings. May all beings everywhere, without exception, may they all be happy, and joyful, and free from suffering. Om mani padme